Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, as this nasal drone always indicates, I'm Danny Kelly and this is The View from the Lane, the Athletics Tottenham Hotspur podcast. Today, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by what's essentially the A-team, isn't it? The Athletics' Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. And together today, we're going to take part in an exercise that has been entirely manufactured to deal with the fact of the international break. We'll be comparing the Spurs team that Antonio Conte has inherited to the one that Poch inherited in the summer of 2014. And we'll be looking at the quality of the squads, the standard of opposition, and ultimately decide which manager is, or was, best place to succeed. It'll actually be fun, I think. Harry Kane got a hat-trick for England. Well-deserved, and of course, a perfect hat-trick. James, were you jumping up and down your seat in support of the great man, or were you slightly looking out through your fingers, like, like I was, knowing that the Kane to Manchester City thing would start up literally 30 seconds again after the end of the game? I wouldn't say I was quite looking through my fingers fearful that City would be uh, immediately back in after a trick against Albania, who looked pretty dreadful, really. But I, w- I was quite encouraged by it. I mean, I think that's probably the obvious emotion, isn't it? Kane hasn't had a good start to the season by uh, by his standards, but by quite a long distance, actually. I mean, I, I was saying to Charlie just before we started recording, he wasn't quite at his best, but it- he didn't look off the pace. I think he kind of looked like he kind of... I, I think from the look on your face, you're about to disagree with me, but I, I didn't think he looked kind of as sluggish as he has looked so far this season. He was involved in the game and, you know, like a perfect hat-trick by his very definition. The good thing about it, and I know Charlie and there's no, we're not letting daylight in on magic here, you're a very, very busy man, often working up to 12 hours a week. Um, that, that, you, <laughs> that you didn't see the game, um, you only seen the highlights. And I'll fill you in on the things that went on around it. But the encouraging thing, James, was that in... A team with three at the back uh, and and pushed up high wing backs. He was forced almost to narrow his game, Harry Kane, to get back into the centre of the, of the pitch. Yeah. And he was forced by the way England used their two holding players with Henderson getting forward a bit more, as as, in, as evidenced by the goal that Henderson got, um, to play nearer to the penalty spot than usual. Now, of course, you can't always do that against Chelsea. Manchester City, they're fantastic teams and you have to come back and get the ball a bit deeper. But by playing a more natural striker's role, guess what? He got a load of chances and banged a load of them away. And also he, he provided an assist for that Henderson goal, as you mentioned as well, which just goes to show that even if he's playing you know, in and around the penalty area, he can still create goals too. How much can we, um, obviously before before the game, did a piece on kind of the... Uh, oh, this was before the Everton game, actually, in fact, on Kane and Conte and how much... Yeah, there's a lot of precedent there to suggest this could be a really great appointment. Obviously, Kane's very excited. I mean, how much do we put this... Can we attribute that to the Conte factor or is this more just... Does Gareth deserve the credit here? Yeah, he deserves... I mean, Southgate deserves credit because he found a system that allows Harry Kane... I think he's got 11 
goals this calendar year for England. If he keeps that up, he will overtake Wayne Rooney's all-time record in the probably with the winning goal in the semi-final of the World Cup in Qatar. You know? <laughs> Ideal, um, perfect. Uh, yeah, perfect, absolutely perfect. Yes. Um, and hopefully they'll be, they'll be playing Scotland in the final. You know how that would work. That would be nice. I don't know about the Conti thing because I, I get a strange feeling, uh, Charlie, and you, you probably watch England with even more of a, a jeweler's eyepiece than I do, that his two careers to him are completely separate. He is the England captain. It's a different dynamic than when he's playing for Spurs, different shirt number. I think he's really, really proud to play for England. You can see it in the way that he is around them. I'm not sure that the two things are connected. Although Conti may have just had a word with him and said, Guy, Get into the penalty area. Let's get 45 goals this season. <laughs> I don't know what the, the Italian the, guy getting into the penalty area is. The, the genius of Conte. That is Harry Redknapp, isn't it, to a team, more or less. I, I was just thinking, is, is he playing with... I like like three, three or four years ago, you would say he was playing with better players at Spurs than he was with England. But now, uh, is it the other way around now? I mean, this may kind of bring us on to the activity we're about to do. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I think at the Euros, I did have that thought that the it did feel like the dynamic had shifted a little bit because he, he was being surrounded. You know, England have such, so many elite players in that attacking midfield position. And obviously that's a, an issue as to how many of them they play. Some feel Southgate doesn't play enough. And we saw that kind of play out of the Euros. But I mean, that's a pretty, he's got a pretty good um, support cast there. And as we've talked about at Tottenham since Christian Eriksen left, he's kind of had to play that role as well as being the number nine. So I, I do think at England it's more set up for him to have games like he did uh, on Friday. That would definitely be the caveat then, wouldn't it? Because the delivery, Henderson was it for the first goal. There was a cross from Reese James that I think he scored from a cross from Reese James. There were definitely a couple of good chances he got from crosses from James and his delivery is really good. I, I, that is the thing, thing, isn't it? You know, it's all very well and get him scoring these goals for England with those kind of chances, but are they the kind of chances? And against Albania, who, who, who you know, they, they are, they are no, as I say, um, Premier League team. Harry is playing in an England team where, let's be honest, Jack Grealish can't get into the starting eleven currently, and we all know what kind of footballer that fella is as well. One thing you should know, Charlie, though, is that if if Kane had been in his primo form, his A plus form, he'd have got six. That shot he dragged to the goalkeeper's right normally goes in off the inside of the post. The diving header, now you need a bit of uh, bit of luck with diving header. That's, that's not a science, is it? He scored a dozen of those in his career. Um, and there was one other chance that I think, and I just thought, absolute peak. He would have had six in an hour. He also was taken off after an hour, wasn't he? So Yeah. It means he now moves into the top five of England's goal scorers of all time, level with Jimmy Grease. Oh, God, if you'd ever told me that somebody who played for Spurs would level Jimmy Greaves' goal-scoring record when I was a boy and had pictures of Jimmy Greaves stuck on my bedroom wall. I wouldn't have believed you. And now three of the top five England scorers have done some of that damage um, while playing for Spurs. Hooray and hurrah. Antonio Conte has come into Spurs amid much fanfare and a great deal of optimism from people like myself and James who've got skin in the game. And what we decided to do is to compare the squad that he's inherited with that with that which uh, Maurizio Pochettino had when he came to Spurs on the eve of the 2014-2015 season to see which manager has the better chance of success. And of course, some of that is relative compared to what the other managers have at their disposal. It'll be a fun exercise because some of the names I'm about to mention will call, call to curl your toes, Spurs fans. But there's some brilliant conversation to be had here. It's going to be coming next here on The View from the Lane. Listeners, we've got a very small favour to ask. We want to make sure we're making the very best football podcasts out there, so we need to know what you like and what we can do better. 
We've prepared a survey over at theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk and if you complete it, you'll be entered into a prize draw to win one of three £100 Amazon shopping vouchers. Now, we're only after the feedback from UK listeners at this stage and you can only win those Amazon shopping vouchers if you live in England, Scotland, Wales or Northern Ireland. So if that applies to you, then please head on over to theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk. That's theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk. Thanks. Right, here we go. Uh, of course, the international break is upon us and uh, we cannot spend our time uh, dissecting Tottenham's latest actual performance beneath a microscope. So uh, we devised a little bit of an exercise for James and Charlie and myself by looking at the squad um, that uh, Pochettino inherited back in the day. He came in May of 2014 and I've got the squad as it was ready to go for the start of the 2014-15 season. Um, and we'll compare that to what Antonio Conte has to work with and whether um, Spurs are now better or worse placed. Some of that's to do with the manager again, of course, and to do with the opponents that they'll face to be successful. James, I'll, I'll ask you to go through the, the squad. We've got them here in front of you. I have the two squads yes, in front of me, yes. Just for the Spurs fans who remember the glory days, um, go back, it's only seven years, and one or two of the players, of course, are still in the squad. Just bang through the main players in, in the squad of 20 1415. Uh so yeah, we would have had Hugo Lloris in goal. Do you want me to go through like a team or do you want me to give you like, well, the no, squad? Well, you, you can make the point that they got three international goalkeepers there. Well, that's, Lloris, yeah. Vorm and Friedel, and they've already and they didn't they sell Aurelio Gomez in that summer as well. So they were having a clear out of international goalkeepers. Yeah, okay. So I mean it's kind of this squad is uh, looking back on it is actually quite strange because it's kind of a bit of a mix of kind of AVB underwhelming era slightly. The Bale 7 plus like some of these guys you remember from having watched play, you know, in the European Cup final for Spurs, which quite a big deal. And then a few kind of odds sort of left field ones. I mean that the, the, the players they signed that summer it's not. It wasn't the the greatest. Twenty fourteen. Not not the greatest group of players. You know, people like tell people St- Benjamin Stambouli and mm. Federico Fazio. Who uh, anyone who follows me on Twitter or has followed me on Twitter since that guy played for Spurs will, will have seen me tweet about. I, I can't. I cannot fathom that the fact that this guy has carved a career for himself as a like a central defender for a, like an elite nation and several big clubs across Europe. You know, Roma and Spurs among them. Just in a, just awful, awful. <laughs> I mean, I know that's that might sound a bit unfair to people who don't remember the, uh, some of his offending in that season. But honestly, he was just a. You know, there's a game at Man City where I think he scored a lone goal and got sent off. I think he gave away about half a dozen penalties in that season, didn't he? I mean, he was just, he was just bad. Yeah, the centre backs were Kabul, who was captain of the club at the time. Vertonghen, all hail. Um, Kirikes, part of the say of the bail ballast. I quite liked Kirikes. I know we're going to kind of go into more um, granular detail on this a bit later, but I thought Kirikes was quite good. Eric Dyer, very much of the parish these days, and the aforementioned, and we all hate him now, Fazio. That's what's quite interesting, Danny, about this team. You mentioned their Dyer, because as James says, you've got this AVB and Bale 7 hangover, but then you've also got this team that now, with hindsight, we know is right on the cusp of exploding. So you've got like Dyer. Kane, Ericsson, Vertonghen, Larice, yeah. So Dembele there's, there's as well, Carl Dembele. Walker and Rose, Dembele, yeah. So there is, there's a lot there. We just didn't really realize it at the time. Which obviously throwing it forward to today makes you think, well, are there, you know, are we going to be talking about how? Oh, remember that that was Brian Hill's first season before he exploded. Five of this team played in the Champions League final a few years later. Um, and Eric Dyer was on the bench. so uh, it, And Ben Davis as well was... That's right. Lamella on the bench as well. Right. Five played, eight, three were uh, among the subs. So they, there was something right with this squad of yeah. players. 
Let me just finish going through them a bit faster than than perhaps so I would like to. In the fullbacks, you had uh, Walker and Rose, Ben Davis, central defensive midfielders Stambouli and Capu. The midfielders were Paulinho Dembele, Ryan Mason, and Nabil Bentaleb. The creative midfielders were Christian Eriksen and Sabaya, so I completely forgotten that he was there. Eric Lamella, Nasser Chadley, and uh, Townsend was also in the team then. And up front, we had Soldado, Adebayo, and a youngster called Kane. Actually, you're right, uh, Charlie, looking at it, that is a, 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 all squads are a weird mixture of what's gone before. And particularly at a club mm. where you keep changing the manager, you get that tumble dryer effect. But I think actually, when, when Tom, the producer, suggested this to me, I, was, I thought, surely the current squad is, it must be better. But actually, there's loads of talent in that squad that uh, Pochettino inherited, isn't there? Yeah, what's interesting as well, and because I've um, Tom Worville did has had a look at kind of peak ages of different players in different positions and this sort of thing, and so I've done a piece specifically on Tottenham squad, and that's that'll be going up Tuesday morning. Right. And in it, in in so doing, I realised that all Spurs outfielders this season, excluding Dane Scarlett, who hasn't played in the Premier League, they're all in their twenties, twenty to twenty nine, which I thought was quite interesting. And then looking at this team. You've got a similar thing going on here with the 2014 team. Apart from Adebayor, who's 31, everyone's in that in their 20s. I think it may even be just 21 to 20. Oh, no, there's one. Oh, Bentaleb was 20. So, yeah, everyone's 20 to 29, basically. And then, obviously, the big difference now is that Spurs' keeper then was 28. So it's quite a similar kind of age profile of both squads. And both, you think, are they... Does that mean, you know, we saw with this team, obviously, they then kicked on over the next few years. You wonder then if something similar is going to happen with the Spurs squad. That Antonio Conte's in. But I guess one of the things that tells you is it doesn't you don't necessarily need all of those players to kick on in that way, you know, not not, you know, Bentaleb at this point, I mean you probably would have said he would have been one of the players of a higher ceiling and you look at him now uh, as we have this conversation he's still not got a club. I think he left Schalke at the end of the season and is without a club. But in this season would he have been, I think he might have been keeping Dembele out of the team a bit because there was definitely a spell where Mason and Bentaleb were the two in midfield and I guess Eriksen was playing as the 10. So I, I suspect there was a period where Dembele was on the bench because Bentaleb was in the team. Well, look, you could argue, you know, and there is development here as well, but at this moment, Tottenham Hotspur in, 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 at the start of the 2015 season have in Walker, Rose and Vertonghen three quarters of the best defence the club has ever had, plus a brilliant goalkeeper. I bet Antonio Conte is not see, sitting there thinking, man, I could make some brilliant defence out of this if I just do one more thing. The addition of two of his old players by Pochettino, Wanyama and Alderweireld, transforms this team. Yeah. Um, plus one other thing he has to do, we'll get on to Kane in a minute. Just to go back to what you're saying there about, about defence, sorry, Danny. I mean, I, I, I have very vivid memories of it being announced on Twitter on a Spurs account that Danny Rose had signed like a new five-year contract and I think that would have been probably very early in this season I think I could be wrong and under that tweet it was all ah oh, for fuck's sake that's an absolute night. You know, Spurs fans basically complaining about Danny Rose getting a new mm-hmm. long-term contract because he, the perception of him at that point was that he was a bad player and he wasn't good enough for the team uh, Walker I think was a similar thing having come into the team quite young and, and started okay I think there was a bit of a perception and I remember this from like being at games of White Hart Lane and you know the people around me moaning about how he was playing and how he had like poor concentration and that he was very erratic and he made a lot of mistakes. And I actually think if you went back, and, and also Vertonghen, by the way, was very good on his first season, 12-13 under AVB, but it, it, in the second season, the season where VS Bayer got sacked and Sherwood came in, it's quite a bad season. And I think he might have been out of the team for a bit of that season as well. So actually, I think at the point that Pochettino comes in, those three players who became three key figures in that incredible, you know, title-challenging European Cup final reaching defence were actually like on the kind of periphery. And I don't think, if you were to poll Spurs fans at that point, I think there'd be quite a few who wouldn't have had those three in the team. 
That, of course, is, is, Charlie, a moment of tremendous optimism for Spurs fans then because a good coach can perhaps, and particularly with defenders, can change them reasonably quickly. And if Conte is the coach I suspect he is, he may find a way to get the best out of a a group of Spurs defenders that have been pretty heavily criticised over the last two years and not without reason. Yeah, a good coach generally. I mean, I've said this before, but you look at someone like Jurgen Klopp, who players like Wijnaldum and Andy Robertson, they, these, were not, these were not signings that when they were made, anyone cared about or thought, oh God, I'm envious of Liverpool getting Genie Wijnaldum and Andy Robertson. No one cared. No. Through amazing coaching, they've become the players they are now. And, that, and that's what happens. Same with Spurs. You know, look at... <laughs> Loads of these players, very few of them when they were signed were envied by any of their rivals. Obviously, within a few years of Pochettino working with them, suddenly United and, and City and whoever else are desperate to try and sign them. So, yeah, if ever a team, I think Klopp, is, is, Klopp and Pochettino are probably the biggest examples of that. And then you hope Conte, I mean, Conte has some previous of that. Again, we, the example that's used all the time, but I don't think anyone was... You know, when Spur, when Conte was hired at Chelsea in 2016, I don't think anyone was saying like, oh, you know, Victor Moses, he'll be the one who really kicks on under under Conte. You know, it, it's that can be hard to predict, but you do hope that at least one or two of these players will have, Conte will have a similarly transformative effect to what he's had before and what Pochettino had on a number of these guys. I can remember distinctly the, the spell where Kane was playing in the League Cup and the Europa League games. And he was already clear to my untrained eye, a better player than Emmanuel Adebayo, who played every game in the Premier League. This got to the stage where on Twitter, I put a picture of uh, clearly a grown man, not a schoolboy, sat in disgrace, facing into the corner, a dunce's hat on. And I said, this is Maurizio Pochettino until he starts to pick Kane ahead of Adebayo. Now, he sees the boy in training every day. I get that. Um, but it did take the manager a little while, James, to decide that Kane you know, can come on and start dismantling Chelsea and Arsenal anytime he likes. Yeah, I do remember that being like such a bit... There's, I mean, that's a clamour, isn't it? It's not a thing yeah, to talk about. Oh, that is a clamour. Just looking at the numbers now, he's, Kane scored eight goals in, in cup competitions before that Villa game where he started and scored the defective free kick right at the end of the game, which I know is a moment that he and Pochettino uh. both kind of talk about as as the turning point for both of them. Yes, and of course, at the end of any successful free kick-taking for Spurs ever since. But that's yeah, a well, I, story. yeah, I don't think he's even hit the target since then, probably. It's interesting to compare to compare what they had then, because Kane, obviously, I mean, w w with the benefit of hindsight, we know he's became the elite striker in the Premier League over that time period. But at that stage in his development, it's still a bit sort of... Rusty is not the word, I guess, is it? But it was, it's, you know, he wasn't like a fully rounded player that we... He wasn't a fully no, rounded player raw. that we see now. He's always kind of a bit awkward and a bit, sometimes a little bit ungainly. And he had a spell at the end of that season where he didn't score, I think, sort of once or twice in sort of the last dozen games, maybe. He went off the boil a bit after he played for England, actually. So obviously, look, we know now that he had an incredibly high ceiling and that he's achieved incredible things and you would rather have Kane at that age than the Kane that we have now, clearly. But uh, to compare the forwards, well, I suppose that you probably would have to go with those three over the current lot, wouldn't you? Because Kane, because he's on his own. But that's interesting you say that, though. Would you rather have Kane, you'd rather have Kane that season, 14-15, than, than the current Kane? Is that what we're saying? Are we saying uh, like in isolation for one season or are you saying... Would you oh, like, I mean, obviously, yeah, now going, going forward, forward. yeah. Because you're talking about the, the position that Conte is in Oh, yeah, sure, sure. But then I guess that is... Oh, I mean, I suppose if we're being <laughs> incredibly pernickety about it, you're kind of developing under a different manager. And maybe um, this isn't like a slight on Conte, but they're different coaches and they work differently. And maybe if, if Kane was playing under Conte at the age of 21, maybe he'd be a, a different player and, a, and an inferior player. I mean, and we'll get on to the current Spurs squad, but isn't that the, the hope with Harry is that uh, 
Conte has shown with Romelu Lukaku that you can get a, a player who was already thought to be at his absolute peak and people were playing elite money for on more than one occasion and whose goal-scoring record indicated that those high outlays were by no means misplaced could actually be improved. Some of it by changing some of his physique, some of it by trying to teach him to do one or two other things. Obviously, a lot of it's down to the player as well. It has to be willing to learn. Anyone who's ever spoken to Romelu Lukaku will know what an intelligent lad he is and very keen um, to get any edge he can. For the sake of uh, of our podcast listeners, imagine if Conte could get another 10, 15% out of Harry Kane. You're into Lewandowski territory. Um, although, of course, uh, he he will not get to play against Augsburg quite as often as Lev- Lewandowski <laughs> does. Let's not lose sight of the actual exercise here because it's such an important exercise. I mean, we don't want to look like they we're just twiddling our thumbs. Compare and contrast for me, Ch- Charlie, some of the issues of that squad with the squad that Antonio Conte finds himself depriving of ketchup as we speak. <laughs> well, I mean, the centre-back probably is the issue with this current Tottenham squad. Romero is at the level that we want. Then is there a partner? I mean, Dyer, I, I, I know he divides opinion. And actually, it's, a, it's probably a similar issue because you look back and although um, Kabul was the captain, he was phased out by the end of the season. Uh, so you've got Vertonghen who clearly, and although, as James says, the context going into it, it wasn't as clear then. But by the end of the season, it's pretty clear that he's at the level that you need. Dyer is, is, is at Spurs as well at that point, but he's pretty young and he can also play defensive midfield at that time. So there are kind of echoes and midfield as well because the balance is is tricky at the moment. Can you get Ndombele? Can you get the Celso into play that way? So it's interesting, as James says, that you had Dembele not an automatic pick, given what he went on to become. That they hadn't yet they hadn't quite unlocked a way of playing with him yet. That then when that happens, that's when the team really explodes. That is interesting, isn't it, actually? Because you make that comparison with the centre-backs and you can kind of say, Romero, we know, is we suspect he's very good, but we there are a few question marks and we're kind of saying that about Batonga He's already fun, but he could be a good player as well as fun, yeah. couldn't he? Yeah. And then you're kind of talking about like other options alongside him who we're not entirely sure about. And you, you know, you're talking about people like Kabul, who maybe there are parallels with Dian now. And that thing you say about Dembele and then that kind of tallies of and Dombele maybe to Absolutely. an extent, isn't it? It's sort of a similar, similar period, I guess was two years into his time at Spurs as well. So it's like a similar period of time he's been at the club too. So actually, uh, uh, maybe it's more even, even more even than we actually thought it was. Dembele, Ndombele and he are a really interesting comparison. They're not the same player at all, but they have the ability to hold the ball in midfield and get it forward, either with running. Um, I don't think anyone would call Moussa Dembele the greatest passer of all. He certainly couldn't finish, could he? Because if he could finish, he wouldn't have been playing for Spurs. He'd been playing for Real Madrid. But that ability to get the ball, keep it, allow the team to reshape in the three, four seconds you're quite capable of holding on to the ball to, was absolutely critical. It also allowed, latterly, it allowed, and I keep reminding people of this, and nobody likes to hear this, but uh, it allowed Spurs occasionally under Pochettino and, and during their good runs to play in front of the two, two Belgian centre-backs. They played Dyer, uh, played Wanyama, and they played Dembele. That is a wall of muscle in front of your defence. But that's because one of those players could absolutely be guaranteed to hang on to the ball and get it out to play with the handful of attacking players Spurs were allowing themselves. Some of them as bang average as Nasser Chadley, with all due respect to the great man. But on Dembele, I remember doing a piece with Tom Worville. It would have been during the lockdown. So it was it was our, it was kind of it, during Ndombele's first season. And it was so his last game had been at that point had been he'd been hooked. 
by Mourinho against Burnley. And so we were talking about looking at his profile. And actually, he did profile very similar to Dembele. They have a lot of similar characteristics. They've maybe diverged a bit more since. I mean, but they they, certainly when he was signed, that was the idea. Because when he, he was signed only six months after Dembele had left. He had those two astonishing games for Lyon against Manchester City, didn't he? And I think that they'd worked out that we had to spend whatever we can because we thought we had a player who was irreplaceable in Moussa Dembele who decided to remember off his own bat that he wasn't up to the physical rigours of the Premier League anymore, the way he particularly played. They spent a lot of money on a player who comes in and lo and behold, we discover that he too is perhaps not quite up to the physical rigours with what he tries to do with the ball of the Premier League. Now that may improve under Conte, I really hope so. He will be the fourth manager to try to get the best tune out of him. And some, for some reason, I can't quite fathom him. In the way that I've kind of washed my hands of Lo Celso as potential, I still cling on because of some of the things that he can do that Endon Belli is going to be going to be the man. And speaking of of our friend Lo Celso, of course, where the two squads, I think it's glaringly obvious at the moment, differ, is that Christian Eriksen was about to come into his own as one of the best creatives in European football. And at the moment, it is hard to see where that creativity is coming from in this Spurs team. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I mean, it would kind of be easy to compare Lo Celso to, to the kind of Paulinho of 2014 and say, you know, sort of South American import brought into much fanfare, but... You know, after a couple of years, you're kind of wondering what it is he actually does. But you're you mean right. before he starts to play for Barcelona? <laughs> we'll see is if that, that happens. Is that I mean, like the Palenio you're talking about? <laughs> I mean, a move to Barcelona now is very different to a move to Barcelona in 2015. To be fair. Well, yeah, that, but that only makes that only makes Palenio seem more of a waste at Spurs, doesn't it? That is yeah. true. That is true. Yeah. But no, you're right. I think I think the comparison with Lo Celso is Ericsson. And Ericsson, I think at this stage, a year in, we had a pretty good idea. You know, he had a good first season. He scored quite a few goals, actually. I mean, I think we had a pretty good idea he was going to be a good player. I don't think we realised he was going to be one of the best kind of playmakers in the Premier League for kind of four or five years. And clearly, as we've talked about many times over the last two seasons or 18 months, I suppose, Spurs massively miss him and they haven't replaced him adequately. So, Lo Celso is probably the player in the current squad you look at and think, well, he's the player you need to be doing that. And he just isn't. So that would certainly be an area where, if you're comparing the two, you'd say Pochettino had the the, the better hand than uh, than Conte. So again, Christian Eriksen, like you say, he didn't, certainly when he was signed, and he was only signed a year before Pochettino came in, I do remember some you know, some people saying, well, you know, this is a guy who the big clubs have looked at and thought, mm, he's not quite at our level. You know, how, how good is he? And, he, and he, he he had a good first season, didn't he? But he wasn't, you know, I remember him playing really well in that game um, at Old Trafford that Spurs won in 13-14. I'm a bit, I feel like a bit of a coup that Spurs have got. I mean, you're right, you know, you always ask that question when, when a player like that ends up at a non, at that point, a non-Champions League team. But I definitely, it definitely felt like quite a big deal that Spurs had kind of jumped the queue and got that deal. Mm. Although the fee seems paltry now, they did rather shock Ajax by agreeing to Ajax put out their um, their kind of let's negotiate this fee at sort of 13, 14 million. Spurs said, right, OK, you're on. Yeah. Um, so occasionally that works as well to get players uh, to, to, to move. Of course, the Conte squad that he's inherited. Now, I take your point about age and even maybe hunger for the game. The Conte squad also has Son in it. And in Son and Kane, he's got a pair of players that are incomparable yeah. to the quality of anybody in in that squad that Pochettino That's got. the big difference, isn't it? You've got two like elite, elite, well, any position actually, but in this instance, two elite forward players 
in theory, who should be someone near the peak of their powers? I mean, obviously, we've had all these questions about Kane over the last two months, but you know, my, my feeling is that he will get back there. That isn't the thing that Pochettino could, uh, that could say he had when he walked into that squad. You know, Soldado, we'd seen in his first season, for whatever reason, confidence or just the fact that he wasn't a good fit for the Premier League or for that team, wasn't going to do it. Adebayor, uh, I think we'd already learned the experience. Uh, I learned from the experience of his loan. You know, he, he can be incredibly good, but otherwise he'd frustrate and... You know, maybe he's not the best personality around a club when he's not in the team. Lamella signed for thirty million pounds. I suppose maybe you'd you'd have the hope that he could become a player of that kind of quality, but clearly he never got there. And then again, Ericsson, who we just said, you know, was a good signing, but was nowhere near that level. I mean, you might have had the hope that he would be, but he would just he just wasn't. You can't you can't argue that. So yeah, that that is a big difference, isn't it? That is the thing that that, that is another thing that Conte can definitely say because there's not in that twenty fourteen squad there just weren't any elite players at that stage. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The other factor in all this, not about who's the better manager, Pochettino and Conte, time will sort that out, is, of course, the opposition where English football is and was 
Charlie, because there is a good argument right now that the Premier League is competitive beyond anything I can remember in my lifetime. I think you've got three teams that are on the cusp of greatness. Um, Liverpool, Manchester, well, Manchester City are already a great team. Um, Liverpool are coming back to the greatness that they had three years ago. Um, and Chelsea are an amazing team. And below that, you've got a lot of very rich clubs and a lot of very, very good managers. Um, I wonder if Pochettino was was not quite up against that brick wall of competition. Well, yeah, two things. I mean, if you think that the season after this was the one where Leicester won the league, and so we had a very unusual combination of all the teams you've just mentioned, all, all those top teams being in varying forms of transition, throw United into that as well. The Pochettino's first two seasons were Louis van Gaal's two seasons at United when when they weren't really up to much. I mean, this season, the same could apply. The difference being that Chelsea were very, very good uh, under Mourinho. This is when they won the league pretty comfortably. But yeah, you had City under Pellegrini. In Poch's first season, Liverpool were under Brendan Rodgers. And then obviously his second season, Klopp comes in, but it's way too early for them to really be a force. So I definitely think it's easier. it was easier then looking up and certainly was looking down because the, the competition now is unlike any... I mean unlike anything I think there's ever been in the Premier League. It really, you know, you you look at the fixture list and every week seems to be like, oh, this is a, you know, this is a really tough game to call. Whereas, you know, back in the day, you, you would have quite a few home games where you think that we really should be winning this pretty comfortably. So I do think it was a more hospitable environment that Pochettino was coming into. That said, I, I, I do find it slightly surprising looking at the Premier League table that those three teams are not, kind of miles out in front in a way that it feels like they've been. Because then, you know, the fact that Liverpool drew... in Over the last two Premier League weekends, Liverpool, we had Liverpool drawing with Brighton, we had City losing at home to Crystal Palace, Chelsea drew at home with Burnley. Admittedly, again, they should have won comfortably. So hopefully that the quality of the teams below is making that... is making the league a bit more competitive. And also, with United being so inept, there is that opportunity for a top four finish for Conte. So maybe it won't be quite as brutal as it seems or seemed at the start of the season for anyone else trying to get into that top four. Yeah, well, I said it before and I'll say, I'll say it again here. It may turn out that that 3-0 drubbing by Manchester United at White Hart Lane, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, whatever we're going to call it, may turn out to be the best result for Spurs in the course of the season and the worst for Manchester United. Time will tell that as well. James, me and you, Spurs fans... Are we part of the problem? Because here's the issue. We've gone from the last three or four games under Nuno Espirito Santo, absolutely no expectation. The squad is useless. They all don't want to play. This Spurs team is finished. We'll be lucky if we don't get relegated to literally a fortnight later. Oh, Conte can get a tune out of him, him, him and him. He'll buy in two or three of his ex-players from various clubs in January and will be up and running. I mean, look, expectations don't play football, but they definitely affect clubs and it definitely affects the way clubs feel about themselves. I mean, I'm glad to be so optimistic again after you know a year and a half of grinding my way through the Spurs games. But do we have to be a little bit less perhaps gung-ho? I mean, maybe a bit, but I, I mean, I think optimism is a good thing, isn't it? That, that, that's, I think that's only a thing that can kind of have a positive effect on players. As long as that optimism doesn't then manifest itself in a kind of arrogance or a sense of like, I suppose having a divine right to a Champions League place or whatever else, or it being a well, massive they, they underachievement. They definitely don't have that. We agree about that, yeah. Or it being like a massive underachievement if we don't get one. And for the reasons you just outlined, but the strength for those, uh, particularly those three who are top, top three at the moment, uh, actually no, Bassam are third, aren't they? Sorry, three of the top four. I like the way you managed to blur all those words together just so you wouldn't have to actually say <laughs> West Ham are a third at the moment. Very good. 
very good use of of, of the tongue. I mean, look, look, clearly those three, Manchester City, Chelsea and Liverpool are kind of head and shoulders. And I don't think there's any world in which you could kind of suggest Spurs should be finishing above them. After that, it's a bit different. So I don't think it would be ludicrous to say Spurs should be in contention for fourth place. But I just think I just think it's good just to have optimism and a bit of positivity in a sense that things are moving in the right direction again, which, as you say, I don't think we've really felt, probably not since early last season, maybe even slightly longer than that. So we talked about the squads, the managers, the level of competition. Spurs didn't win a trophy under Mauricio Pochettino, but they became, and I'm going to use the small G here, a great team. I mean, the 16-17 team was a great team. Can Antonio Conte A, win a trophy with, with this squad that he's inherited, and so it looked better than what Pochettino did? Or is that the hostile environment you described of all their opponents make it, it, it less likely, the squad and the hostile environment? We also have to consider what level and, and uh, experience the two managers had. And obviously Pochettino came in, you know, he was fairly young and relative to Conte, inexperienced, certainly inexperienced at that level and at winning trophies. Um, I don't, I don't expect Conte will produce a team like Pochettino did of such sustained brilliance because so few people have done that in the Premier League era. I mean, Pochettino was so unique the way they defied gravity for so long. But I think this team, and, and as the piece that comes out tomorrow looks at, this Spurs team is actually right at the peak age. You know, they are, despite us thinking they're in transition and have been for some, you know, for the last couple of years, the numbers say they're not really. They, they, they are ready to win something. And I think under Conte, they have a really good chance of winning something. And given we know that Pochettino's team didn't, um, I, yeah, I don't think this is going to, I don't think Conte and Spurs is necessarily going to be a kind of long-term legacy in the way that Pochettino was. But I think they've got a really good chance of winning something this season or next. You agree, James? Uh, I'm I'm really loath to kind of get carried away with that because I think we probably said all this stuff when Mourinho took over, and then obviously famously, what are you afraid of? Mockery from other Spurs fans? You must other fans. You must be used to that. Yeah, exactly. I really am. I I would say it probably is slightly more likely, or I certainly feel it's more likely now than I would have felt in 2014. I just think you just have had no clue how good those players were at that point, and I think I'm slightly more. I have slightly more confidence now in this group than I would have done in that group in 2014. And obviously the manager, as Charlie says, like his experience is huge. So, and again, going back to having those two elite players who are match winners, you know, in any in any game and they've shown they can do that in, you know, the biggest matches against the best teams. So probably slightly more likely to do that than they would have said then. Whether or not that actually does mean they do it, I suppose is a slightly different question. And I would go for the sarcastic science since uh, Pochettino didn't win anything. This group that he has now is definitely more likely to win something than a group that hasn't won. Though I would say there were some great players in that 14-15 squad and some great blokes as well. There's probably a better mean average level of players in the current squad, but they're in a much more tricky Premier League. And Charlie's absolutely right. I've never seen the like. In fact, there's never been, even the Italian League in the early 90s, I don't think quite had this depth of opposition brilliance. Every away game is a problem for every team. And in over half your home games, if you play in the Premier League, every away game is a real problem. And over half your home games will be against a team who are in the top 20 richest clubs in the world. Okay, listen, thank you both very, very much indeed for that. Quite a tricky exercise, but I really enjoyed particularly getting your views on that, Charlie and James. So thanks for being with us for the view from the lane for the last while. And we'll be back on Thursday when we'll see if the current squad, which we talked about such a lot in the last 20 minutes, what they can do with Leeds United on Sunday. So that'll be on, on Thursday. And if you're not already a subscriber, you can read all of the Athletics articles on Spurs, including Charlie's upcoming one that you spoke about earlier, by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now, you can sign up with a 33% discount 
on full subscription. You'll also be able to access all of our podcasts ad-free. And we're back on Thursday. Thank you all for listening. The Athletic.